Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, listeners. This is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is the fourth episode in our next normal leadership series featuring Elevate's chairman and CEO, Liam Brown, talking with general counsel from leading organizations, law firm managing partners, and law company CEOs about leading during this time of change. Today's guest is Matt Fawcett, senior vice president, general counsel, and secretary at NetApp. NetApp specializes in helping customers get the most out of their data, offering industry-leading cloud data services, storage systems, and software. This conversation between Liam and Matt covers the concept of digital work, the burnout some are experiencing as digital workers, and transitioning from lawyer to lawyer leader to business leader. Matt, thank you for joining this conversation. I'm looking forward to talking with you today about leadership in law. Why don't I start off with getting to know you. What was the arc of your career or your life that actually led you to the role that you have today? Maybe it could be best described as a series of missteps on a path towards hopefully finding a career satisfaction. And what I mean by that is probably as early as high school, I had decided that I'd like to go to law school. And I probably made that decision naively and in a vacuum of thinking going to school is fun. And being a lawyer is going to be a nice, stable, conventional career. And it turned out to be, whilst going to school indeed was fun, everything after that was quite different. I figured that if you go to law school, then when you become a lawyer, you become a litigator because that was the image that I had. I didn't have lawyers in my family. I just made assumptions based on popular media. And so I became a litigator as the start of my career. And realized I'd made a big mistake because that wasn't particularly fulfilling for me. Then at one point, I thought I wanted to be an environmental lawyer. And I, in fact, worked for the Sierra Club for a while and found that practice to be terrible for at least what I liked to do. Although I believed in the mission, the practice was unfulfilling. I did a little stint as a deputy district attorney because I thought, well, I don't want to be a litigator. Maybe I want to be a trial lawyer. And these are what trials feel like. And I hated doing the trials. And I wasn't very good at it. So long story short, it took a lot of fumbling to ultimately actually get to a place where I feel like I have the greatest job in the world. And I love my job. And coincidentally, as we're recording this, tomorrow is my 10-year anniversary at NetApp. I probably never have ever started a job thinking I'd be at it for 10 years. But as I hit that 10-year mark tomorrow, I'm as enthusiastic and excited about our company about our team and about our mission. And I've got nothing but passion and energy looking towards the next 10 years. Can you talk a little about the mission of the company and how has that impacted the development of the mission of the department that you lead? If it has a mission, because not every general counsel or every law department would claim to have a mission. And then how has it changed? Over the 10 years, how have those missions evolved? Sure. I might actually answer it inversely. When I joined NetApp 10 years ago, we're in the data storage and data management space. 10 years ago, a very classic enterprise IT space, and the company was doing extraordinarily well. We were the upstart. We were a public company, but growing 30% year over year and taking share from little companies like IBM (laughs) and EMC and Hitachi and Hewlett Packard. And In addition to this really fast-growing company, 
it was recognized as that year I joined the best place to work in the United States. So we're also getting ahead of Google in that department. So talk about a super exciting platform, for lack of a better word, but a legal department that was significantly behind the rest of the company. And I, in a very competitive interviewing process, I can remember stepping a little outside my own comfort zone and telling the CEO at the time, you know, NetApp deserves to have a world-class legal team. And from what I can tell you, don't. And that would be my mission. So when I stepped in, I had a very clear vision for what I wanted the department to look like. And I didn't frame it just as world-class. I actually framed it as, I want us to build the best legal department in the world. Whether that is something that can actually be measured, we've tried to put metrics around what it would mean, both objective and subjective. But that galvanized our team because we went through a heck of a lot of change in the beginning. And changing the team was easy in the context of where the company was at the time because the company was hitting on all cylinders. Now, the world changed. The classic enterprise IT market, as everyone knows, has been under incredible structural pressure through things like the cloud. So with the emergence of Azure and GCP and AWS, that has completely turned upside down this you know, once seen, very stable, very healthy, and always growing enterprise IT market. And so our company has had to make a massive transition and transformation to continue to be a vibrant, growing company. And, and that's what our mission has been for the last couple of years, is how do we access and how do we help our customers and our partners take advantage of all the goodness of public clouds and hybrid cloud environments leveraging our technology. And we are not finished with that mission, but we're well down the path of being a major platform of storage-oriented software in all of the public clouds and on-prem. So when it comes to the mission of the company, I think for me, frankly, the distributed working environment has underscored the importance of our mission. And it's this. Most companies nowadays would say, the most important asset we have is data. And When you think about the challenges we have seen society face with our healthcare systems, with our educational systems, with our political systems, with everything that makes our world normal and work, the inability reliably to store, manage, move, transfer, protect data is at the heart of a lot of the things that are making all of these institutions vulnerable. And NetApp is trying to solve that problem. And I think if we are successful in helping solve that problem for our customers, for all of these industries, public and private sector, we will have made the world a more resilient place for the inevitable next thing that's going to happen and destabilize. It's building resilience for the, frankly, the health and safety of the world. To me, that's an incredibly exciting mission. And our team has adapted to that mission. In light of all of that, we've adapted our mission not from just being the world's best legal department, but the most digitally optimized legal department in the world. Because I firmly believe that the future of work, effective work, is going to look very little like what pre-COVID work looked like. And there are a lot of problems to solve in figuring out how to build a digitally optimized team. But I'm investing a good amount of my time these days thinking about that and trying to build in structures and institutions that facilitate that. I think you've seen something that I talk about, the sort of acceleration of digital business. And you've been at the heart of that. I mean, it's kind of fascinating to hear that story and including the company going through a reinvention and sharpening its focus or being able to kind of face an accelerating future has meant it has become an increasingly digital business. And that has proven to be so vital beyond the company, as you say, to society. Digital business is going to be important to society. What I also think of as digital law, in my own mind, 
you know, I think about law in the core. So law is woven into the business. And so the way you just described that digital business, digital law, it seems to me that you have aspiration of the best legal department in the world inside a digital business has caused you to have to think from early on about how do you design the people, the structures, the things that you measure, the priorities, the strategy to be oddly ready for a time like this. So perhaps this is a bit too direct a question. How has your team been able to respond to what's really happened over the last couple of months? A good and appropriate lead-in, Liam, maybe answer the question a couple of ways. So in part, as you observe, as we've constructed the team from long before work from home and COVID, from long before that, we had a philosophy that we wanted to have a highly distributed team, geographically distributed. So our team sits in 25 different offices in, I think, 14 countries now. And we often say we have lots of islands. We have a person in Japan, a person in Australia, a person in Hong Kong, a person in Iceland, so on and so forth around the globe. And the rationale for that was it's more important that our people will be close to the clients they serve. But as we made that strategic decision, that also meant that we had to be very conscious about how we as a team would still feel like a team. Since we're physically remote from each other, we would have to put more energy into how the legal team feels and how we create our identity and how we feel like a single team as well. So I would say that because of that, we've learned how to pass the ball in the dark already. We spent lots of time deliberately doing things like building trust and building teamwork and practicing teamwork in a distributed world so that when all of this craziness happened and everyone suddenly traded in their office for their home office, our team, I think, adjusted very, very well to continuing to feel connected with each other. So on on a day-to-day basis, I think we are very well prepared for this, certainly not intentionally in this regard, but we were well prepared for it. But I'll tell you the challenges, both a personal challenge and and then a department challenge that I'm thinking about a lot these days. The personal challenge is about 30% of my time was spent on the road. And I really, really valued that time. It's an opportunity to go to our other offices, meeting with people on my team, meeting with other executives and business leaders in the company, meeting with customers and partners. And so this is the first time since I joined NetApp that I've spent so little time actually on an airplane. And I frankly miss it. I don't miss being on an airplane, but I miss being in other places and being around other people and having that extra connection. So that's the personal challenge. The team challenge, and I think this is probably true for lots of teams, legal or not, but maybe especially for legal because of the nature of our work, is wellness and burnout. I'm probably not unique in this regard, but my observation is in month five of this, we're entering kind of a new phase. And in months one and two, you know, the rug was pulled out from all of us in every dimension of our life. And so people spent these first couple of weeks or months just trying to catch their breath and see what it would feel like. And the couple of months that followed up to maybe today, people said, hey, we can make this work. We can be productive. We can use Zoom and Teams and we can find ways to keep work going. But what we're seeing is while most people, including myself, have traded three-hour commutes on a daily basis for three-foot commutes, we've layered all of that time with more work and more on top of that. And we are very conscious of burnout and very conscious of just risk to employee wellness. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that I'm sure there are people on my team who have been impacted by it. So that's a real concern. 
And we don't have good solutions for that yet. But frankly, Liam, that's part and parcel of what I am trying to solve by creating the most digitally optimized legal team in the world, because it's not about just pivoting our old ways of working into this new work from home regime. It's about reimagining the work that we do and how we do it and feeling like not that we are doing more with less, but that we are actually doing less, but we're doing the right things and that we're not burning calories, burning our own intensity on things that could be either done a different way more easily through technology, which is a big one, or just not done at all. And we don't have the solution there. I think it's going to be a lot of trial and error and seeing what works, but that's my big concern right now. So the concept of digital work, I think that as a leader, it's important to help people move through the early phase of, oh, I'm digitally working. I'm using these tools to do what I've already done. And wow, I can do this. But a little bit to your point, there is whether or not it's we're no longer traveling or we are no longer having the mental sort of start and end of work, you know, the bit that is being a digital worker has started to really, in many cases, just blur. Our lives are blurring. So as a leader, what are the kinds of practices that you're exploring? And to your point about trial and error, that's the other thing about this, okay? It is, you know, I don't know anyone that has the answer to this. And even the people who are academics that research this, they've got some points of view. But what are the kinds of things that you are trying out either with yourself for your own personal wellness, because that's the other thing. People forget that actually we're all human as well. So for your own personal wellness, but then also for your team that allows them to explore this being a digital worker and reimagining the way that they work. So you are exactly right. If there was a blueprint that would work, (laughs) send it to me. But there's not. In fact, some of the research that points out the importance of really leaning into digital work and digital workers will also say that you know, there is no one size fits all. Each company is going to have to figure out how to solve this within the context of its business model, within the context of its culture, within the context of its resources and all of those things. So there is a self-discovery that has to happen. That said, there are good resources out there and I try to access as many of them. You know, I've spent a lot of time looking at GitHub's remote manifesto, for example, and some of the related materials around that and lots of great ideas there. I keep a running checklist of the characteristics of a digitally optimized team versus a not optimized team. And it doesn't have a whole lot of lines to it, but I actually just I just added a, a line this morning before getting on the phone with you, which is optimized is talent in place versus not optimized, which is talent near office. And so in the sense of at least as a team, we're talking a lot about what these things mean and what they imply. And for me, and one of the biggest changes I am trying to help bring to our department and to our company, frankly, is the notion of embracing asynchronous versus synchronous communication. And that requires the ability to have tools and platforms that let multiple people access and contribute in the time that is best for them, as opposed to a traditional way in the way that I'm used to ever since I graduated in 1992, which is emails with attachments that you sequentially send along. So the clear example is we use a Microsoft platform. There are lots of different platforms for collaboration, but I'm forcing us to use that platform for different things that we historically would do just by email with attachments. It doesn't sound like the biggest change in the world, but I can tell you that lawyers aren't always comfortable with change. And a legal team that has grown up and matured using email, it can feel very uncomfortable, A, uncomfortable to try to learn something new because it is new and it requires time. And it also 
another anxiety I think this introduces is that, geez, now you're just giving me yet another thing to have to be opening and working on. I can't solve for the first problem other than saying we have to learn new things. What I'd like to do to solve for that second problem is say, this isn't about adding one more layer. This is about replacing, replace email with a collaboration platform. And so again, just as a simple example, I've set up sub-channels with each of my directs and we've decided we are not going to email agendas for meetings to each other. We are going to post those agendas in the site and it lets us both collaboratively fill out those agendas in real time before the meeting. And you know, it's new, but I'm really optimistic that those little steps are going to open everybody's eyes towards, you know, this is working and it actually is reducing email load. And if the more we can do more of this, the less email I'll ever have to see. That's one example of how we're trying to embrace more modern ways of working together. So much of this is in parallel, which will make you laugh because one of my big themes is the role of the general counsel as business executive. And so problems you're facing are the same problems that I'm facing as the CEO of a company. And I think that some of the things you talk about in moving from me-centric to we-centric. And you touched earlier on about the importance of trust building because you know I had a group collaborating just yesterday and I asked us to collaborate on a document rather than email the document to each other. Well, there was the fundamental question was, but who else can see this? Do we really believe that it's something that only the five of us can see? And that was an interesting conversation as a sort of tech-forward organization. I was surprised. These are real things, aren't they, that we have to lead people through? I really believe this is important, not just for our team, but for our company. I think it's vital. I set up our CEO staff team site, and I set up sub-channels for things that are important, like future of work, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, You know, a variety of things. And I'm playing the same forcing function with that team, what we call team one, and with my team, which we call team two. So you're right, speaking as not just the head of the legal department, but as one of the business executives, I'm trying to force that same embracing of new modes of working. I'll bet you not many people have thought about the work that you've been doing leading other executives through, hey, we in our law department have developed some experience in collaboration and trust and we about sensitive, confidential topics and have developed tools and ways of working and thinking that I almost can't say this, that this sort of innovation for the future of the functioning of the executive team is coming out of the law department. I'm probably not the only general counsel that would say this, but there are certainly days where I'm sitting in a staff meeting with the other leaders of all the other functions. And I'm saying, you guys are reaching a conclusion that I already reached three years ago. Why don't you just listen? Hmm. In almost every company, there is a certain level of perceived and real independence for the general counsel in the legal department. And that independence is is important for the work we do. And that's one reason why I think traditionally GCs haven't always migrated into other leadership positions in the company. But Liam, I think that's changing. I think we're seeing that change more and more. Some of my colleagues and friends who I respect immensely have taken on broader roles at their companies in technology. There are examples of general counsel who've been elevated to CEO roles. You see that in highly regulated industries. But I feel like, and all this is is a feeling, but I feel like there's more of an appetite and acceptance for general counsel who aspire to have larger roles in the company to actually be considered for those larger roles. It, It seems like the tide has shifted in some ways over the last year or two. And and I think that's good because my friends who have taken on bigger roles in their companies are doing an awesome job. And I think they're going to be the trailblazers for the, the other ones of us who aspire to do the same. I feel strongly that companies 
when we talk about building diverse organizations, and then what we do is we keep our executives in boxes. John is the general counsel and they're left in the box, or James is the head of sales and marketing. The part of the social movement that's happening in the world is opening all of our eyes to kind of the stereotypes that we carry around in our heads. And then we have about other people. So I'm delighted to see this. I will tell you, though, your comment about why didn't you just listen to me three years ago? Just so you know, if you ever do become a CEO, you will actually say that. I promise you that that is something that doesn't change. In terms of how you would advise lawyers earlier in their career and the skills and capabilities, or perhaps even the roles, a career roles that you would encourage them to look for from a mentor or volunteer for, perhaps informed by your own experience, but positive and negative. What would you say to someone who was 10 years, 20 years kind of earlier in their career now about what things they should be leaning into? Good question. I think about a lot and get asked about a lot. And I I wish I had the perfect answer, but there are a lot of different things. And if I went back, speaking for myself, if I could go back 20 years, what would I do differently knowing now where I think my passions lie and where I think I can be successful? I think every lawyer would do themselves a huge favor if they just learn how to read and understand financials. That's just a basic skill set that you just have to have, especially if you want to work inside a company. You have to be able to speak that language. And that's part one. I also think that at least when I was graduating and when I was starting at a big firm, the guidance given to us young lawyers is just focus on being the best lawyer you can be, right? Be an excellent technical lawyer. And I think You need to be an excellent technical lawyer to be successful. But if you are not thinking about building your network, and we can talk about what that means, but if you're not thinking about building a diverse network of people, both other lawyers, but more importantly, people outside the law, then you're doing yourself a huge disservice because you'll get to a point in your career where you want to change jobs or you want to pitch a client. And there will be people who've invested in getting broader skill sets beyond technical skill sets who are, I think, almost always going to win that battle. There's no question that NetApp didn't hire me because I'm the most technically gifted lawyers. I am clearly not. And I know that there were other people who were candidates for that role who were better technical lawyers and who had more experience and had other dimensions to them. It was just a good fit. Part of that good fit was, I think I brought a lot of other ideas and creativity into that role. So starting to just reach out and learn the languages that your clients speak, understand the challenges that they face. I mean, trying to be truly empathetic to what your clients are dealing with, whether they're internal corporate clients or external clients. It took me a long time to learn that. And I'd love for younger lawyers to spend more time there. I think having someone, a mentor or a leader, really, in some cases, push young lawyers beyond their technical skills and to do things that sometimes they don't value. When I start to feel that my business colleagues making requests, if I feel like they're becoming demands, then maybe that's a signal that I need to actually step out of my lawyer shoes to actually step into the shoes of my business colleagues and sort of look at things from their perspective. That resonates really powerfully with me, Liam. And and it just brought back a memory from my pretty early on in my in-house days as I had migrated away from private practice. And it was around the negotiation of a fairly complicated commercial agreement with a big customer. You know, that involves our salespeople and it involves our operational people and it involves me negotiating. And I was taking the probably intellectually correct hard line on certain things and friction was mounting. And it was mounting not only with the customer, but it was also mounting with the team that was negotiating it. And I was the cause of it. And the head of sales, the senior vice president, just 
pulled me aside and said, hey, Matt, I'm not objecting to the outcome you're trying to get to, but you need to understand also you're getting pissed at someone on my team whose ability to support his family is dependent on getting this done. So try to have some appreciation for that. That's not a reason to back off of positions that are important, but understand the dynamic outside the intellectual battle over terms and conditions. And it was really a gift. That was a gift to me. He didn't even have to do that. He could have just said, pipe down. And, And that's a place where, again, young lawyers, at least when I was a young lawyer, we weren't encouraged and we frankly didn't get a lot of exposure to those kinds of situations. We produced work and we sent it out. And that's just, it was hard to see the whole context. So I would say that that's quite important. I have two questions. The last two questions that I'll ask, and I'll tell you what the questions are in advance. So I'm going to ask you to finish a sentence and then I'll tell you the second question. So I'm going to ask you to finish the sentence. Leadership in tough times requires dot, dot, dot. Now, don't answer it for a minute. Just let that be playing in the back of your head because I'm going to ask you an easier question. What's a book on leadership that informed that you've embraced some ideas from or you'd recommend? You probably know the answer to that one, Liam, because we talk about it a lot. And it's Team of Teams. It's not the only book. And if you've seen my bookshelves, they are overflowing. I'm a huge consumer of, of leadership books. I have a passion for that. But Team of Teams is by General McChrystal, and it has to do with his time running the JSOC Joint mm-hmm. Special Operating Unit, dealing with the challenges we have in the Middle East in combating terrorism. And the thesis is around rethinking traditional organizational structures to deliver results in an ambiguous world. And it's not, again, not a blueprint, but it contained a lot of ideas that I still implement in the way I think we need to approach the work we do at NetApp. And if you'd give me a chance to put one other in there, because I come back to it quite a bit, Marshall Goldsmith, who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of leadership thinking, wrote a book that I think is called What Got You Here Won't Get You Mm -hmm. There. And it's kind of the simple premise of all of the skills and resources and achievements you have that got you to the place you are today are not going to be the things that get you to that next level if you aspire to that next level. And you have to continuously grow and you have to remain curious and thoughtful and consume. And I believe it. And it's been true for me in my career. And I think any ambitious person should read that book. So hopefully your mind has been processing the answer to this question. Leadership in tough times requires dot, dot, dot. Caring, empathy, and intensity. I feel like I have to ask you to explain that just and then we'll, and then we'll close. Uh, Sure. So in this distributed time at the heart of every company, no matter what type of industry you're in is people building the trust that people need to have in each other requires a level of caring. I forget who said, but the best way to show people that you care is to actually care. I want to know that my colleagues care about me and I hope my colleagues feel I care about them. That's the fundamentals. To enable some of that caring, you have to have empathy. I think it's important to understand, especially now, frankly, as we are reawakened around some really important social justice issues that all companies need to really try to solve. We have to open up that empathy lens a lot wider and really hear people and understand people where they are. So I think those two go hand in hand, but they are different, but one will reinforce the other. And lastly, intensity it's hard right now. There is five times more work than can physically be done. Leaders need to lead by example in this regard. And I don't think we're going to get through this world sitting, waiting, and hoping. I think there's just got to be a ton of energy and intensity dedicated towards helping our teams manage through a very 
cloudy, ambiguous time and coming out successfully. Matt, thank you very much. Fascinating conversation about leadership in law, and I hope actually beyond law. My pleasure, Liam. Thanks for including me, and it's always great to talk to you. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com. Thank you.